This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Well, welcome to all of you out there in cyberspace. We are back again on the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. I'm Mark Vance. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone, and I am joined today by Dr. Alex Tuckness. Alex is a instructor at Iowa State University. He's been, Alex, how long have you been on faculty at Iowa State? A little over 20 years. Wow, 20 years. And what, what's your title right now? Where, where are you working? Uh, I am uh, a professor in the Department of Political Science, uh, where I'm the director of graduate education. And then I also have uh, a courtesy appointment over in the uh, philosophy and religious studies department. And how long have you been at Cornerstone? Have you been at Cornerstone the whole time you've been at Iowa State? Yeah, whole time. Wow. Well, Alex is a dear friend. He's an incredible elder here at Cornerstone Church and one of the wisest guys I know. And so what I like to do is basically pepper my wise friends with the hardest questions I can think of. And so Alex has been kind enough to join us both today, and he'll join for some future Equip episodes to tackle some of the questions that we have to wrestle through as Christians as we navigate the world where we live with wisdom. Here's the topic for today. We want to talk about individualism, what it is, where it come from, comes from, what's good about it, what's bad about it. And in particular, um, what we want to, the slant here, when we talk about individualism, what we're talking about is this idea that my body is mine and that I as the individual am central to w- the way I make decisions, the way I see the world. And so as such, anything that threatens that liberty and autonomy and independence is bad. So even right now in a public health crisis with the coronavirus, we're starting to see this rise up, right? Where we go, hey, that's my choice. That's my right. That's mine. So there are some goods about that with personal responsibility, but there's also some dangers. And so what I want to do is let Alex kind of be a wise guide for us and help us kind of navigate where did this come from? What's it about? And how do we navigate learn, owning and taking personal responsibility, but yet not over-owning and making the individual the center of everything? So, Alex, here's where I want to start the conversation. First off, let's define the terms a little bit. What is individualism and kind of a little bit where did this come from? Yeah, well, you know, as a as a professor, I'd get kicked out of the guild if I just gave a simple answer, right? So I have to say it's complicated. Um, so the term individualism uh, originated in the 1800s uh, in France, mostly as an insult uh, to uh, the excesses of the French Revolution, right? So the French Revolution was all about like people claiming individual rights and overthrowing uh, the monarchy, and it ended in a bloodbath. It was uh, the reign of terror was a bad deal. So that's kind of where the the term started, but it, it it morphed over time. So you get like Alexis de Tocqueville, who thought of individualism more as like the retreat from public life and just kind of life is about my friends, my family, maybe my employment, um, but it's kind of withdraw from, from the public to the individual. Uh, there's also this kind of romantic individualism that's all about like self-expression. Like I as a unique person figuring out how to express myself uh, to to the world. And the American version kind of takes that self-expression part, but adds a lot of emphasis on like individual rights, 
capitalism and economic liberty, things like that. So the, the American version is probably what we're going to talk about, uh, tends to combine those, those factors. Okay, so let's let's navigate this a little bit uh, further forward. So you've kind of given us some background. It thinks about me, thinks about my rights. What are the major influence factors that bring this way of thinking forward? And so I'm thinking, like, historically, even in the Christian tradition, um, mm-hmm. you have things like the Protestant Reformation, where there's an emphasis on that that rises forward. So talk to talk to us about where this thinking comes from, and then we'll navigate into some of... Where do you see it even on the college campus today, really prominently? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I do think the Protestant Reformation is one of the sources, right? If you, so if you think of Martin Luther, uh, at a certain level, he's saying, I, as an individual, have come to the cl- conclusion that the Catholic Church is wrong about certain theological claims that it's making. And at the end of the day, I have to, um, you know, stand by what I believe wow. to be true, yeah. right? And and part of what the Reformation does is it creates a world in which uh, there's no longer like one mutually accepted moral authority to settle disputes anymore, right? And kind of the ripple effect of that is, you know, increasing reliance on individual judgment. And then we started having a lot of religious wars, <laughs> Right. And, and those religious wars, I think, cause people to start also being just distrustful of group thinking because uh, they see how group thinking leads to conflict. And so there's this more, more and more emphasis just on thinking as individuals. And then you throw in all the economic changes uh, that capitalism has brought along with it. Um, and uh, that further encourages people to think in terms of individuals. And then a lot of the political philosophies that were influential, uh, particularly in the, in the 17th century, tended to emphasize uh, this kind of individualized uh, way of thinking. So there's, there's a variety of, of sources that it comes from. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, and I, I do think we see it on, on campus and just in American culture and things like that quite a bit. So yeah, let's fast forward to there. I want to think modern day, you are a professor at Iowa State University. You're obviously in political science, philosophy, religion, this is the sort of worldview you are swimming inside of. And so right. how do you see that from like the, the student, the average student coming into your class? Talk about how you see this emphasis on the individual, individual rights, individual ownership come through in their basic way of thinking. Like, how are you observing it? Well, yeah, I, I have a, a good vantage point for observing this, because the classes I teach, uh, pretty much all of them are about moral and political dilemmas uh, that we face in modern society. And so I'm constantly doing these like, you know, polls where I ask students, I I pose a moral dilemma and say, what do you think? Is the answer A? Is it B? Is it C? And then I have them defend, like, why do you think that? So I get to both see the the statistics of what they think, and I actually get to hear them try to... Defend it, and what I've observed is that the most uh, common position. This is, I think, clear majority of Iowa State students uh, think this way, and I don't think Iowa State students are unusual. Is that uh, each person should have the freedom to do whatever they want as long as they don't harm somebody else? Um, so it's it's a very individualistic way. Like I, as an individual, can do what I want as long as I don't harm you, as an individual. Um, you know, so we're each like 
Ejos has this little circle of rights around us, right, that other people aren't allowed to intrude upon. And so I can do whatever I want within my sphere of rights as long as I don't infringe on your sphere of rights. And then they'll often kind of throw an additional assumption, which is as long as I individually consent to something, it can't be counted as a harm, right? So in other words, as long as two individuals consent, even if it turns out very badly for one or both of them, we're not going to call it a harm such that we should restrict people's freedom because individual consent kind of determines what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. So basically, wow. I can pretty much predict um, that whatever position a student takes, the way they will defend that position is some combination of like individual rights, consent, uh, and harm. Okay, so I want you to give me an actual classroom moral dilemma and flesh that out through that individualistic perspective. So what's one of those, and I've been in classes with you, Alex, and you do this, you put this moral situation in front of me, and I think, oh my goodness, I have no clue how I would. And so give me a, a tangible example of what you do with a student in the classroom and kind of flesh it through a typical perspective. Okay, so uh, one of the first examples I use at the beginning of the semester in my intro class is timely in the middle of a pandemic, because uh, I asked them to think about the ethics of price gouging during like natural disasters and things like that, right? You know, where somebody wants to like charge, you know, $20 a gallon for gas or $500 a night to, you know, stay at the Comfort Inn or, you know, in, in the present case, you know, it's suddenly $10 a roll for toilet paper. Um, you know, should that be okay, right? And, you know, there's, there's arguments on both sides of it. Um, but interestingly, the students who want to say the government shouldn't regulate things like that, right? We should just let the market take care of this, higher prices, maybe help get more toilet paper made quicker, you know, because companies have more of an incentive to produce it if they can charge more for it. The students who take that position are going to frame it in terms of, I should have the economic liberty to sell my products, to buy products. So as long as buyer and seller individually consent, that's between them, they should be able to uh, do what they want. And the students who think this is bad are going to reject the idea that this is really uh, individual consent we should respect because it's coerced somehow, right? That the, the economic hardships uh, and so forth that people are experiencing mean they don't really consent, it's coerced consent, right? But both of them are basically using the same paradigm um, that's individualistic. They just have different thresholds of what counts as valid consent and what doesn't. Wow. So in both cases, both baseline answers don't appeal to, well, because that's wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like that's actually unjust. They say, well, because I didn't consent to it or I consented in this way. They're both the same way of individual thinking. So, okay. Yeah. And in fact, I, I give them a, a, another option where they could interpret the same thing in terms of virtues, like character qualities. Like maybe we just think people who charge $20 a roll, uh, you know, for toilet paper are just being greedy, right? I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a vice, right? Or, uh, but by and large, they prefer not to think in terms of virtues and vices. Uh, they, they feel more comfortable thinking in terms of individual rights and consent and yeah, I've, man, Alex, it's so interesting. Moral framework wise right now, that actually is a pretty big overarching narrative is in the past, you could ask a question about 
um, should you do this or should you didn't not do this? And many times the answer would come in the question, the answer would come in the basis of virtue. Well, that is not virtuous or that's, it would come through a moral framework. Mm -hmm. Now it typically gets framed in a, well, that restricts rights or imbalances power. And that's a very different framework. One of them says there's rights and wrongs. The other one says, well, the supreme right or the supreme wrong is taking away freedom. And it does seem like that influences a ton of the way we think, of, even in a pandemic time frame. So, okay, let's get into some practicals now for this. What is good about that? Because there's some things that are actually really good about taking individual ownership, um, p- places where we need to you know, move toward that. What do you see are positives of an individualistic way of thinking? Well, I mean, I think, I think as Christians, you know, we can affirm, right, that each person, each individual uh, is an image bearer, right? They're, they're created in God's image. So we matter to God as individuals. I mean, we, we have a, you know, a shepherd who knows his sheep by name, right? And, and cares about um, the individual created in his image, not just uh, the group. So I think, you know, the, the idea that there's an inherent dignity uh, in each individual is is actually a, a very helpful uh, thing to be reminded of, uh, and I also think individualism in its best forms, right, is going to in- acknowledge the fact that different people really do have different spheres of responsibility, um, where they have decisions to make. They have um, you know responsibility to try to uh, make wise decisions about their health, about their home, about uh, their workplace, and so forth, and so. Uh, you know, at its best, individualism helps make it clear, like, what my sphere of responsibility is so that I can then make wise choices within that sphere. So that's the good. I want to go into the bad. So um, when we think about this, where can individualistic thinking not lead us to value the the image bearer, bearer made in God's image or value personal responsibility, but actually do things that are really harmful to others on the basis of our own freedoms being exercised? Yeah, I I think one of the problems is, you know, anytime I claim a right to something, I'm normally also implying that other people have a duty toward me to respect the right, right? So there's this kind of relationship between rights and duties. But the problem is, like in an individualistic culture, we just talk about rights, 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 and we don't really talk about duties, duties, duties. And so the it can create a mindset where it's all about what can I claim for me? What am I entitled to? Like So this kind of individualistic rights focus uh, can create this sort of emphasis where what I'm most interested in is making sure everybody remembers what I'm entitled to, and it creates an unhealthy self-focus. Uh, and it can also lead to um, people just acting on their desires, whether those desires are good or bad, because it's my right to do whatever I want. You know, the the philosopher that I wrote my uh, dissertation first book on, John Locke, uh, has a line where he contrasts liberty with license. You know, and license is just doing whatever you feel like, whatever you want. Uh, and a society of everybody doing that is awful right? Yes. Liberty for him is more like a concept of like ordered liberty. Like you have to learn how to control your desires. You have to learn how to regulate your desires with a view to the common good. Um, 
But in an individualistic culture, we often don't talk about that part. Um, and I think all of us know examples where like there's new rules for everybody because a few people weren't able to regulate uh, their, their desires well. Um, I guess I'd also say I think individualism can create uh, an overly negative view of uh, government, right? So sometimes we have this kind of like almost religious faith that the uncoordinated actions of individuals can solve every problem. And if we could only get the government out of the way, you know, everything would be great. But that, that, also, that can become a kind of almost idolatrous religious faith in the ability of individuals acting as individuals to solve any problem. And I think as Christians, we're told, you know, governments are instituted for our good, right? And that sometimes we need help coordinating our actions, right? And, uh, and governments actually have a constructive role um, in promoting the public good. And so sometimes individualism can cause an overly negative view of, uh, of government. Mm. I, I think of government and all authorities, Alex, and any analogous principle is going to break down. But on an analogy, I think of them sometimes like a conductor of a symphony. Um, the conductor in giving orchestration or governing direction to how the individual pieces of, you know, musicianship and instrumentation works, that coordination that the conductor gives from the central role doesn't limit the freedom of expression. It aligns the freedom of expression. And mm-hmm. alignment creates the beauty of the symphony. This, I, I, like you imagine the symphony, right, where the violin goes, I think I'm going to do my own thing right now. And you ask yourself, did that end up with a better performance or not? Now, too much control given to the conductor means he plays all the parts and no, they're, you're just robots. So why do you need the human expression? But true human flourishing, when aligned with the good authority, produces great outcomes. And I think sometimes as Christians, I do think there can be a default. So I have two questions in really particular ways right now, Alex. Why is it that modern American Christians, my experience seems to be that we do have an almost blind faith in the individual at times. Like the individual left to themselves doing what they believe is best, it seems like Christians have a little more resistance to government as authority structure than I would expect them to have. Why is that? I think some of that has to do with our national history. You know, like every, you know, countries have stories and narratives that, help define their identity. And individualism became one of the central parts of America's story that it tells about itself. Um, ironically, individualism is what makes us better as a group. Um, you know, so the, uh, you know, America's number one, why are we number one? And it's our answer for a long time has been some version of individualism. And so I think as a result, People who've, you know, grown up in a culture uh, that, you know, is strongly patriotic and things like that, like the defense of individualism and the defense of like what makes America great become kind of merged together uh, in their Mm -hmm. minds. Um, I do think, you know, Christians, because of the value we place on religious liberty, right, and the desire not to have that liberty taken away, um, we can imagine ourselves in the position of being the religious dissenter fairly easily, right? Yes. And so 
I think that may also play into uh, into some of it as well. So rubber meets the road right now. We are in the middle of a global health crisis, a pandemic. And I want you to talk a little, Alex, about what are ways you're seeing this thinking mode of individualism display itself that you're either encouraged by or a little bit concerned by it. There's both sides to this, I know. But in this moment, what are you seeing? Um, you know, I think in, in, in this particular moment, uh, I think there's a real opportunity for Christians uh, to give the world a better picture of what true freedom and true liberty looks like, right? That uh, a vision of freedom where um, love is the overarching value. And I am actually most free when I love people created in God's image uh, and I love God uh, and, I, and I orient my choices toward that which is good, uh, with love being uh, the supreme good, that that's actually um, both exactly what the world re- needs right now, but it's also a better and more sustainable vision of what freedom actually looks like. And so I think Christians have the opportunity to try to model that. I think we have the opportunity to model uh, submission to authorities, even when we may disagree uh, with some of the details of, um, you know, when they decide to reopen this or reopen that, you know, there's, there's going to be decisions there, but when they do make a clear uh, decision to have a respectful, submissive attitude toward those authorities, while also realizing that, you know, when they say things may open, what they've actually done is now give us as individuals a sphere of responsibility where we now can make decisions about how we're going to use that permission. Um, and so I think, I think that's important. And then lastly, just to reiterate something I said earlier, um, at the end of the day, neither the state nor an individualistic market can be the thing in which we put our ultimate hope and ultimate security, right? Um, And so neither thinking, well, if we just give more and more and more power to the government, that will fix things, nor if we just get the government out of the way, that will fix things. We have to have uh, a faith where we believe ultimately it is God who is sovereign over uh, the entire universe. Uh, He's the one that our ultimate hope, our ultimate faith, our ultimate trust has to be in during a situation like this. Mm. Well, Alex, I appreciate that wisdom a ton. And I hope for everybody listening in, we talk about these kind of meta questions sometimes. How do, why, where did individualism come from? How do we think? How does it shape us? Because sometimes we need to describe the way of thinking to understand even what we're doing. We're kind of like fish inside of water, where the social condition of, well, my rights, that's just the way it is. So as such, without stepping back and kind of having a wise guy like you, Alex, to filter us through it, we can just assume, well, my rights, my rights, that's the way it is. And so what I want us all to do is step back today and just ask the question that you're asking us really at the end of this, which is, given that I am an individual with choices, how can I use those freedoms, those liberties in love? How can I order those by the virtues of love of neighbor, love of God, so that I live with responsibility inside of these days. And Alex, I appreciate the way you've modeled that. I appreciate the way you've thought through that. And I hope even for those of you listening today that you'll have some chance to reflect and ask, how am I using liberties I do have to promote love, faith, hope, 
and virtue in the choices that I'm making. Continue to live faithfully. Alex, thanks for being here with us today. 